Good evening, everyone. Hi. Um, my name's Rob, as has already It's great to be here. Um, one or two familiar faces uh, and some that are totally new to me, um, but that's great to see. Um, I'm here with my wife, Beth, um, and uh, it's a privilege to be able to come and share God's word with you this evening. Um, I'm just going to pray. Uh, do pray with me that God would help us to understand his word. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you that we can also say that your word is holy, that it is different, that it is set apart, that in your word we find words of truth uh, and comfort and wisdom. Uh, and Lord, that uh, in your word we read about Jesus, the one who you have sent to save us and make us a people. We pray that as we look at your word this evening, that you would um, reveal more of your purposes and plans, particularly as they're revealed in the Lord Jesus to us. Please encourage our hearts and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world of turmoil, don't we? Trouble. Uh, Seemingly endless trouble. Uh, The Bible often uses the sea as a picture of chaos and sometimes, you know, it feels like you look at the events that are going on in the world, um, both at home in South Yorkshire and all over the world, and it just seems like a heaving ocean of problems. Um, most of the time, most of the problems we don't think about. We don't really have to. Um, but just take a mental tour of the world right now. You know, we have uh, Islamic State causing mayhem and murder in Syria, in Iraq, and Turkey, and elsewhere. We have boatloads of refugees risking their lives on the Mediterranean, all displaced because of problems in countries that most of us know nothing about and have no experience of, but nevertheless, where huge problems are causing people to risk their lives and in many cases, uh, tragically lose them in their hundreds and thousands. We've got ongoing concern about countries with nuclear weapons all over the world. We have Russia and Ukraine fighting a war that most of us probably have forgotten about, if we're honest. We've got North and South Korea continuing to aim missiles at each other and play war games. I believe they're technically still in a state of war. They never actually made peace with each other when their war supposedly finished. And we've even sort of parts of the world that currently enjoy some peace. They look nervously at big powers like the USA and China and wonder if they're going to be friends or enemies. Sometimes this turmoil in the world affects us and we have to think about it. Um, you know, And that might be at one level because it affects where we might go on holiday. It's a small problem, isn't it? But suddenly you might be thinking, should I go to that country? Is it safe? But often it's just ordinary, everyday effects of the turmoil in the world that affect our lives as well. You know, we have uh, schools with people of different nations all uh, filling them and uh, kids having to try to become friends and sometimes that's difficult. It means that in towns like Rotherham and Sheffield, where I live, of course, we have people of different nations and nationalities looking suspiciously at each other, whether it's in a doctor's waiting room or in 
an A&E room or somewhere else. It means that we see our neighbour sometimes going somewhere late at night and we wonder what he might be getting up to. It means that communities in towns often struggle to get along and to understand each other. The turmoil between the nations and in the world kind of lands in our towns and our cities here in the UK. And that's that's difficult, that's problematic, that causes all kinds of problems it seems. The turmoil in the world, the trouble, is a reality that we can do little about. We try and make things better, and I'm glad that we try, but, you know, usually the consequences are beyond anything that we can control or really understand. Psalm 47 is what we heard just a moment ago, and it's a song, I think, of great hope in a world of turmoil and trouble. It looks beyond all the seeming madness and chaos and trouble in the world, which the Bible will teach us is caused by human sin, hearts which don't love God and don't submit to him, to the solution, to the future, to a better time. And I don't know if you noticed, it feels like a a song of celebration. I hope that as we go through it together, we'll find ourselves drawn into this song of celebration and that we'll see something of God's purposes in a world of trouble. So the first thing we're going to do is to understand the problem, why the world is this way. And uh, the problem is the nations against the king. The nations against the king. You have to just, excuse me, talk, to talk about the Psalms more generally. Psalm 2, right near the beginning of the of this book of songs is, I think, really important in understanding the psalm, uh, this psalm and, and really all the psalms. Um, just turn there for a moment, if you can. Otherwise, don't worry. I will read out the words um, from Psalm 2. Um, and uh, I'm just going to read the first three verses, just for a moment. Just listen to this, why not? This is the, the psalmist writing and asking what for him is the key question. Why do the nations conspire? Other translations say, why do they rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Why do the nations conspire? and the people's plot in vain. Why do they rise up? The writer of Psalm 2 notes that this is a world of turmoil, of trouble. The nations conspire, they rage, they plot, they're in turmoil. They all have their own ideas about how to get ahead. What's their objective? Their objective is to overthrow God. We see that when they say the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. That's a way of talking about God. And his anointed. His anointed is a way of talking about his king. Okay, It's a word that elsewhere is translated Christ against the Lord and his Christ, his king. The nations that the... When this person is writing the Psalms, almost certainly David himself in these cases, 
They want to just figure out how they can defeat the Lord, how they can defeat God and his king, his anointed. It's called the anointed because in ancient times a king was, was uh, crowned, was, was, uh, yeah, was crowned by being anointed with oil. And so, in other words, the situation these psalms are being written to is the nations opposing God and his king, rising up against him. Who was God's king? Well, the original readers of this psalm would have been in no doubt David, King David. Uh, David was the greatest king in the history of Israel, the, uh, the nation who we find called into being in the pages of the Old Testament. Now, why is that? Let's have, a, let's have a look and just quickly walk through a little bit of the Bible story to see how we get to that. The turmoil in the world came into existence with Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, and all who followed them, trying to set up their own government. That's really what this thing we call sin is. It's a, it's a desire for everyone to be their own nation, their own government, to decide what's right and wrong. God is the rightful ruler of the world, but human beings don't want that. And we all know that it sounds like bad news to people like us to be told that we don't get to decide what's right and wrong, what should happen, but that God does. The nations war and conspire against God because that's what the human heart does all the time. The nations are the result of people coming together in all kinds of ways in opposition to God's government. And if you were to walk through your Bible story, you'd find the Tower of Babel, the account of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, where the nations all come together to try and build a tower, reaching to the heavens, they say, because they want to make a name for themselves. But, so that's what the nations do, right at the beginning. They come together to try and get together to oppose God. But God um, scatters them by confusing their languages and gives us a world full of nations and languages like the one that we live in today. So amongst all the nations which came out of that situation, God chose a nation which came to be called Israel. And this nation came into existence through God's supernatural intervention. God intervened in history, called a man called Abraham, and God gave this nation a constitution, okay, um, a set of laws, We read those in the Bible, in books like Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, very detailed. He gave them a culture, gave them songs to sing, festivals to celebrate, food to enjoy. And God's plan, his purpose, what he told them was that if they would be a nation who lived under his rules, under his good law, under his constitution, then all the other nations that are scattered around the earth would see that it's better to be part of God's nation than to fight it. Better to be under God's rule than to be in another nation fighting against God and his king. What God promised was that the nations could, if, if Israel would live under his rule, that the nations would look and they would come and they would submit to the government of God because they would see that that was the best way to live, the best nation to be a part of. But when these songs, these psalms are written, that's not happening. The nations still rage and conspire against God's nation and against God's anointed King David. 
not, it's not how it might have been expected. Instead of wanting to come to God, they are fighting against his people. And in fact, there's an even greater and more problematic reality which the Psalms are dealing with, and that is that King David, great though he was, wasn't that great. He was like other men and women. He got sick. We read songs about him feeling sick and feeling unwell. He got old. He made bad decisions. He sinned. He died. David wasn't the solution to the problem of the turmoil of the nations. He wasn't the king to whom all the nations were going to come and submit to the rule of God. Israel wasn't the solution because no matter how good its constitution, no matter how good its laws, no matter how joyful life could have been in it, it couldn't live up to the ideals that were set up for it because of sin. So it seemed like even the greatest king from among the Israelites wasn't going to be good enough to stop the wars, to end the restlessness in the world, which begins in our hearts and expresses itself in the nations. But in this psalm, we start to anticipate the solution. We've understood the problem, which is the nations against the king, but here we anticipate the solution, and the solution is that the Lord is the king. The Lord is the king. By the time we get to Psalm 46, which is the psalm before the one that we just heard, Psalm 47, something intriguing is going on. Um, I do think, by the way, you know, sometimes we treat the Psalms like they're a sort of, um, just a book of random poems put in a sort of random order, like they were all written and thrown in the air and they landed in the order we have them in the Bible. Um, I do think that the, the order that we read the Psalms in is actually is important. It helps us to understand what's happening. They were put in the order they were put in for a reason. So the psalm before this, something intriguing is going on, a little bit strange. At one level, nothing has changed. In Psalm 46, we read that nations are in uproar. That's in Psalm 46, verse 6. Okay, so we still have the nations in uproar. But something new is going on as well. This is what it says in Psalm 46, verse 9 and 10 talks about the Lord Almighty and it says he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says be still. Stop the turmoil and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is the God who makes wars cease. Not just a temporary ceasefire, but who makes wars cease, who makes an end to the instruments of war. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. You know, it's, it's the end of the nations fighting. And he does that by being exalted, lifted up among the nations. And so we get to Psalm 47. Um, I'm just going to read it again. So we've had God making the wars cease and then we get to Psalm 47 which feels, to be honest, like a party. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy for the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us. 
peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord, amid the sounding of trumpets, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises, for God is a King, is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. By the time we get to Psalm 47, the battle is over, isn't it? The turmoil is over. This is the beginning of the unchallenged reign of God. It says God has ascended. Did you see that in verse 5? God has ascended amid sounds of joy. And in verse 9 at the end he says, He is greatly exalted. Do you remember in Psalm 46 he said, I will be exalted. Well, by the time we get to Psalm 47, he is greatly exalted. Those are all ways of talking about saying that God has come to his throne. If you imagine... It's a, it's a Bible, but imagine a throne up a bunch of stairs and it's kind of saying, look, he's, he's walked up and he's sat down on his throne and now he rules. He rules over all the nations, over all the earth. And it reveals, doesn't it, Psalm 47, that it's not King David or any other king who's the ultimate king, the one who will bring peace and stop wars. No, verse 2 for the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. It's the Lord, it's God himself in Psalm 47 who's the great King over all the earth. King David, in as much as he was a great King, was anticipating, was kind of giving a picture, if you like, of what it would be like for God to rule over, but only partial and very imperfect. But actually, the day that everyone was waiting for was actually the day when God himself would be the king. And not just over a country like Israel, but over all the earth, all the nations. Verse 7 says the same thing, doesn't it? For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God is going to achieve his purposes through a king, King David was an incomplete picture of what that king would be like but David wasn't anything like as great and awesome as this king we see ascending to the throne in Psalm 47 the Lord Most High so when Psalm 47 is written it's a glimpse into the future it's a glimpse into a greater reality a glimpse into something which, when the psalm was written, was only a dream. It hadn't happened yet, had it? And even for us today, the day when the nations stop warring, when the Lord is revealed as the king over all the earth, is still, that's, that's not happened yet, has it? Not, not in its fullness. We still live in a world of turmoil where the nations rise up against God and his people. This Psalm 47 is looking forward to the ascending of the great king over all the earth. The end of wars, the end of turmoil, the stilling of restless humanity, 
the calming of our warring hearts. It's the end of refugee crises and prisoners of war. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And as I said, when this, when this was written, it was in the future. And even today, it's in the future. But there's a big difference between then, when the psalm was written, and now. And the difference is that now, because the Bible obviously is, is, uh, reveals God's purposes bit by bit, progressively, we know who God's King really is. We know who this Lord Most High, who has ascended to the throne, is. Um, Here's how the last book of the Bible, Revelation, talks about it. It says this. um, John is is, is a man who wrote the book of Revelation and this is what God says to him. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. It's a way of saying that that David was his, his father, if you like, his root. What does John do? He hears this voice. He says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne. The king has triumphed. He's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, we all understand that's a kind of very royal image of you know the king of the king of beasts. But what we see at the end of the story, when we get a further glimpse at the throne of the king who ascends is that actually he's also the lamb who was slain. When Jesus walked on the earth, he's introduced by a man called John the Baptist as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you read John's gospel, that's almost the first thing, that, that's, the, that's the first word on a human lip that we hear about Jesus. He's the Lamb. And if you read through the story of Jesus' life, you find he's a descendant of David. David is in his family tree, born in the city of David. Jesus claimed to be the promised Christ. He said, I am the Christ. I am the King. He announced the kingdom of God. He said, this is it. And like any king of Israel, he went up to Jerusalem and was acclaimed by the crowds. They praised him. But, unlike any other king, before he ascended to his throne, he was lifted up on a cross to die. Why was that? Why not just, if he is the king, why not just ascend to the throne? Because he wasn't going to just be the king of Israel of a particular people at a particular point in time rising up against the Roman Empire or whatever. In fact, Israel, his his nation, humanly speaking, crucified the king. No, Jesus died because the earth belongs to the Lord. And God's plan was always to create a new people who would live under his good government. Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not just of one country. Here's how Revelation chapter 5 continues. It talks about the Lamb who's seated on the throne. And this is how he is, this is what they say about him. With your blood, in other words, by your death, 
With your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. With your blood you purchased, it's like you bought, paid the price for persons from every tribe, language and nation. I love that about God. I love the way that uh, I mentioned earlier the Tower of Babel and how God uh, judged humanity's attempts to kind of rise up and take all the glory by scattering them and making them into nations that didn't understand one another because they all had different languages and all the rest. I love the way that God's purposes are to make that beautiful, to bring all of those people together, not into one kind of monoculture where everyone has to speak the same language and everyone has the same songs and food and all the rest. But he, may, he, he rescues people from every nation. That's his plan. That's how he brings them into his people. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross is what has united the warring nations under God's government. And it's because Jesus has done that on the cross that there is sure and certain hope that this day of Psalm 47 will come. Psalm 47 looks forward to the day when we can say, how does it put it in verse 5, that God has ascended amid shouts of joy. Just as the psalm says the king will, Jesus has ascended. After Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose, and often in what feels like a bit of the, the, uh, the gospel account that we tend to forget, he ascended, he rose, into heaven, into the presence of his Father, where he sat down. Jesus has ascended, just as the psalm says the king will. But first, he is the one who dies to take away the sin of the world. This is how um, Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore, because of this, God exalted him. I will be exalted among the nations. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus is exalted. The king has ascended because he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross where he purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's only, under we live, un, live, it's only as we live under the rule of Jesus, the King, that we anticipate him as the solution to the turmoil in the world. So, what do we do with this? Well, as with all the Psalms, I find it helpful to remember that this is a song. Okay, like it would have been sung with music and all the rest of it. I believe my research shows that it was often used at the beginning of a new year. And you know, I think, so what, what would it be like to be a community, a church, that had this as one of their songs? You know, what kind of a people would we be? You know, so the kind of songs that a bunch of people sing, you know, it'd be very strange... I'm trying to think of a good comparison here. If I'll, I'll take a Sheffield one. If Sheffield United fans started singing Sheffield Wednesday songs, right? I mean, that would just be very, very strange. I don't know any Sheffield Wednesday songs. I only know about one and a half Sheffield United songs. I don't know any Rotherham Town songs. Is it Rotherham Town or Rotherham United? Oh. 
United. Anyway, don't sing me a Robin United song now, even if you know one. But you know what I mean? There's got to be a, there's got to be a consistency between the community that sings a song and the community themselves. Otherwise, it's just weird. So, what kind of a people would sing a song like Psalm 47? Okay, three things. First of all, I think there'd be a people who love diversity. A people who love diversity. Have a close look at verse 1 of Psalm 47. It says, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. At first glance, it looks like it's just talking about responding to the enthronement of God's king by rejoicing, clap your hands, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's a very it's a funny moment for me. I'm not a big whooper and hand clapper, but, you know, uh, I would hope that in response to the enthronement of God king, God's king and the end of all wars and the coming of peace, that I would find it in me to celebrate. Anyway, that call to celebrate is definitely in this psalm. Okay? I'm, not, I'm definitely saying that. Certainly, shout to God with cries of joy is a call to celebrate. But I don't think that's what's going on in the first line, clap your hands or you nations. Um, that word for clap actually means to strike hands. Okay? It'd be a bit strange. We don't say, you know, would everyone strike their hands together uh, for this. That would be very strange. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, it's used, uh, when people strike hands, it's when they make a deal, a pledge. It's more similar to shake hands in our culture. And you shake hands and you make a deal. So I think what it's kind of saying is that in the light of seeing that God the King has ascended to the throne, you peoples, you nations, stop fighting. Give up. You know, stop, stop your warring. Stop your turmoil. Stop your raging. Stop your plotting. Shake hands with one another. Make a deal. You're going to submit to the King. You can fight amongst yourselves, but you'd be like, I don't know. You know when, when the real king comes, your, your, little, your little empires are going to look pretty pathetic and your little fights are going to look pretty foolish. Shake hands. Make peace before the God who makes wars cease and who lifts his voice and melts the earth. People who sing words like that are going to be a people who love diversity and reconciliation between the nations. A people who want to see that in history, you know, politically. You know, we want peace. We want to be involved as people who are Christians in um, promoting and, and seeking peace between nations all over the earth. And especially in the church. We should be a, a people, a community, who anticipate that day when the king ascends finally and everybody sees and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. We want to be about the business of anticipating that day now. A people who sing these words are a people who love diversity and love reconciliation between the nations. If God is the king, if the kings of the earth belong to God, then we don't need to impose any one nation's preferences over another nation's. All of the nations bring something to the party, but the king is God himself, the Lord Jesus, the one who died to purchase people from every tribe, tongue and nation. In fact, this church, 
Rotherham Evangelical Church is to be the number one place in Rotherham where people see a foretaste of that day where Jesus will come and bring together his people from every tribe. Where we'll see it today, a little glimpse of it, a foretaste. Um, This is what it says in the New Testament, in Galatians 3, 26 to 29. Um, Right, I'm right there. You don't need to turn to it. I'll just read it to you. It says this, So, in Christ Jesus, that's us, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Here's the important part. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Jew and Gentile would have been the main um, kind of that ethnic racial distinction that the people would have been worried about in those days. But it's saying, you're all one. There is no Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, I love this, then you are Abraham's seed. You are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. You know, I I love it. It, It's saying about you are all Abraham's seed. Because right here in Psalm 47, what does it say? Last verse, the nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. It's saying... Abraham's seed, the one that those who would come in would not, Abraham's seed would not be, would not be his physical descendants. They would be those who were called into his family of faith by the Lord Jesus, well, by God's work in Christ. Look at the wisdom and the love of God. I just think this is just great. The nations raged and plotted against his king. That opposition to King David was even more strongly exercised against the one who David pointed to, the Lord Jesus. They killed him, they crucified him, the nations. Because of course it wasn't just Israel, it was with the help of the Romans and goodness knows who else. All the people in the crowd who cried, crucify him. The nations hate God's king. And as I say, the, the, the turmoil in the nation starts in our hearts. We, in and of ourselves, hate his king. And yet, God doesn't squash the differences of the nations. Indeed, he doesn't just destroy us as he might. God demonstrates that he's not a tribal or an ethnic deity of a particular people. He's the king of the whole world. And he does that by bringing people from all over the world together. And so the psalmist can say that we assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. The God of Israel is the God of all nations. So, we're a people who love diversity. Uh, And second, a people who sing this song are a people who announce God's kingdom in the nations. A people who announce God's kingdom in the nations. It would be very strange, to say the least, if we had the words of Psalm 47 on our lips and didn't have any interest in the nations of the earth. Uh, Right now, even today, don't they, the nations, that means people all over the world, continue to rage and plot against God's King, Jesus. It's happening today. But we are God's people. We are that new nation, united under the kingship of Jesus. 
and we sing songs which anticipate Jesus' ultimate triumph, like Psalm 47. And as we sing it, we do so today in a world which rejects King Jesus. So by singing, we're calling on the nations around us to join in with our song. Who is this song addressed to? Who is, who is the audience for this song? Verse 1, clap your hands, all you nations. It's a song to the nations, to the raging peoples of the earth. So, we announce the kingship of Jesus to all you nations, all you peoples of the earth. That's what the new nation of God, this diverse, multiracial, multicultural, multilingual people do. It's what we do. Clap your hands, all you nations, we say. Shout to God with cries of joy. The the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. That's our song, that's our message. All the nations belong to him. All the kings of the earth are ultimately his possession. We say to the nation, you can fight over patches of ground, but really you're like fleas arguing over who owns the dog that they sit on. The kings of the nations are here today, gone tomorrow. I was reading. <laughs> I, I, I was reading about um, North Korea and uh, about the cult of personality of. Um, hang on, I'm going to get it wrong now. Kim Il Sung, who was the sort of founder of North Korea today, and it's astonishing the stuff that. You know, so he died some time ago in the 1990s, I think. But even now. You know, he's called, he was named the eternal president. So, you know, actually, technically speaking, he's still the president of North Korea, even though he's been dead for 20 years. And, um, oh, you know, and basically, he's, he's a god, you know. Um, they credit him with single-handedly defeating the enemies of the nation. And uh, I have some friends who went there, who went to that country. And, um, amazingly enough, and they went to his statue. Apparently, there are hundreds of statues, but they went to visit his statue. And... Um, it was an enormous statue and there were police all round, army, and they had to look at the statue and I think they had, and, um, they had to face the statue. You couldn't turn your back on it. And there were police all round, even now, enforcing this rule. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all the earth. You know, that's what, that's what we're saying to the nations. It's happening today. But all of them are small and and today I mean even even kind of like to to anyone's eyes that starts to look ridiculous doesn't it you know a, a long dead president of one country in a particular place how much more so when the true king is revealed and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord so we're a people who announce God's kingdom in the nations by telling them about God's king the Lord Jesus the one who is exalted and seats on the throne even now. And thirdly and finally, we're a people who have hope in a world of turmoil and trouble. And this is where we're going to finish. We're a people who have hope. The kings of the earth belong to God. We can trust God with our world. It's probably something that you and I have heard a million times before, but it's true. So when we hear about Christians dying for their faith in countries like Egypt, as happened earlier this year, we can be sure the kings of the earth 
belong to God. When we hear about tourists being shot on the beach by a gunman in Tunisia, we can be sure God is the king of all the earth. When we or our friends or our family are displaced and living in a place we never expected to be, we can remember and smile. The Lord Most High is the great king over all the earth. When we wonder about what our own government in this country might do with the freedoms that we enjoy, we can affirm confidently God is seated on his holy throne. God is seated. Seated. So important. When Jesus rose, we're told he sat down. Why does a king sit down? He sits down to rule because he's, he's won the battle. He doesn't need to fight anymore. He can sit down and Jesus is seated on his throne. He is reigning, even today, over history, over the nations, over all the trouble. Jesus rules. And one day, one day he is returning to be revealed as the king over all the earth. And we'll sing this song. When we wonder how the nations will be reached, the nations all over the earth, the nations here in Rotherham, how they'll be reached amid all the trouble and all the tension, all the seeming obstacles to people coming to faith. We can sing with confidence, clap your hands, make a deal, all you nations. The Lord Most High is awesome. That's what we do. Let's pray and then we're going to sing one more song.